with us. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. We've been working through 1 Samuel now for several weeks. Um, uh, and so just a, a brief recap as you're looking at 1 Samuel 16. Um, 1 Samuel is a book that is, is kind of a historical theology, right? It is telling the, the story of God's people around the year roughly 1000 BC. It's really a, a little before that. So we're some 3,000 years removed. Um, it's, it's talking and, and teaching how they went from an a era of judges to a monarchy, to having a king. Um, and it's revealing the character of God during that time. Right? I think we found it to be um, far more relevant than maybe you would have even anticipated walking into a 3,000-year-old book. Um, and, and where we have been is Saul was anointed as the first king, um, and then, then last week we have seen Saul is now rejected by God as king. Um, that Although he will remain king for a while, um, will have actually served for decades, that he has been rejected. His lineage will not continue um, as, as the holders of the monarchy, and that God has said, listen, I, like, I reject you because of your disobedience. Um, that, that Saul has continued um, to attempt to offer sacrifices that he wasn't um, allowed to offer, that when God has given him commands, he has um, only done them in part, um, as, as seemed right in his own eyes. Um, and so that Saul has not been the role, he has not played the role he should have played. Right? That, that ultimately God is the king of Israel, and that the king is to act in his, it's kind of like an under king, an under shepherd of the people on behalf of God. And Saul has not done that. And so he's been rejected. We saw um, Samuel, who is the prophet, right, who is an old man at this time. We see the emotion that he has just kind of being poured out last week as he um, right, has emotion throughout the night knowing that Saul is being removed. And he's asking the question kind of like, now what? Like, God, what are you going to do? Like, the people asked for a, a king, which is a rejection of you. Um, you told them that the king would not go well. It hasn't. So now what's going to happen? And so we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 16. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. All right, well, we're going we're to set the scene and we'll continue in chapter 16. Um, so listen, Saul has been rejected, but he is still in power. He is still the king. And so when Samuel hears from the Lord, right, he is the one that if Saul had been wise, he would have allowed Samuel to be his right-hand man, the one who was hearing from the Lord to, to provide wisdom and guidance in God's direction, and yet he's ignored that. And so now Samuel, we saw at the end of chapter 15, that he and Saul went their separate ways. 
And it tells us there that Samuel and Saul would not, would not meet again. And so Samuel is mourning this. He's grieving it when God tells him, listen, there's going to be another king. I've provided a king now. And so here's where I want you to go. And, but Samuel is practical, and he goes, okay, God, I'll do that. But if the king hears that I'm going to anoint another king, he's probably going to kill me. So, so what am I supposed to do about this? And so he tells him, listen, I want you, because he was the prophet, he was the one that would make sacrifices in Aries. He says, listen, take a heifer. You're going to go to this area. And I, once you're there, I'm going to reveal to you in a certain family who the next king is to be anointed. And we see even the elders, when he comes into the city, the elders of the city are like, they're afraid of Samuel. Right? Because they're they're, they know that things have not gone well with the king. Um, the last we actually see of Samuel in, in chapter 15 um, he hacked Agag to death, right? So, like, I mean, right, they're, they're fearful because of his reputation. They're fearful of what they've heard about him. They're fearful because they know that the king has been rejected. They're like, we're not sure that anything good comes from Samuel being here right now. And Samuel assures them, listen, I have not come to create trouble. I come peaceably. Jesse, um, if you look in Ruth 4, um, is actually the grandson um, of Ruth and Boaz. Okay, so that, that's a story maybe that you're familiar with. And, and what I just want to note real quick before we move on is Samuel here is obedient. And he's obedient in the face of death. Right, we have seen Saul continue to fail to be obedient even as king when there was no one over him other than God and he could not be obedient. That He feared the people. Right, that he, he was small in his own eyes. And yet that Samuel here is obedient in the face of death, knowing that, listen, if Saul hears about this, he probably will kill you. Listen, church, there are many things, right, that we know. Like, we, we intellectually know, we can read them in Scripture, we can see commands and examples and, and, and a call to obedience, and we can know them and yet not obey them. And so the question isn't, do we know what God asks of us in order to be obedient, but are we willing to submit to it? Are we willing to trust to it even when it's difficult? When he says, here's my expectation, here's I want you to be holy as I am holy, and so here are some ways that you are going to do that. Are we willing to be obedient? When it means ridicule, when it means difficulty, when it means struggle, listen, much of Scripture is simple. It's just not easy to live it out. And we see Samuel here with a simple command of where to go, knowing it would not be easy because he was going to incur the wrath of the king. And yet that he trust God. We saw last week that Saul did not obey God. Why? Because he feared the people and his approval more than he feared God. And so ultimately, who do we obey? We obey who it is, is that we, we give ultimate trust and respect to. And so if, if what we want is for our reputation to rule, then we're going to fear what others think of us. And we're going to be ruled by that. Or are we going to be ruled by the fact that we have a, a Savior, a Rescuer, a God who has called us to things, some of which are hard? And are we going to be obedient even in the face of difficulty? That's like a sermon within the sermon, so we're going to move on. Just a little bit of an aside there as we, we see Samuel. Um, let's pick up in verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. 
For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Right, so we're seeing now really a kind of a contrast with the selection of, of Saul. Right, that Saul, when he is selected, one of the things that is noted about him was that he was the tallest Israelite that they saw, like that he was a head above everyone else, that he was physically impressive in stature. And so when Samuel goes and begins to walk through these boys of Jesse, and the first and the oldest comes, and he is a physically impressive specimen, and so Samuel's like, well, God, you've done this before, right? You picked Saul, you know, and so it's got to be this one. And he's like, no, 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 it's not him. It's, it's not this one. If you remember in chapter 8, in 18 and 22, those verses, that, that the people had demanded a king. And they, they wanted, remember what they said? They said, we want a king like the nations. We want to be like the nations. They didn't say, God, we want a God like you a king like you, with a heart like you, we want one like the nations who will lead us into battle, who will be impressive. And so they got one, right? They didn't get the king they, they needed, they got the king they wanted. And it has been a train wreck. And so they, right, have looked at what the outside, how it looks. And yet what we're going to see here is that God's going to say, no, 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 listen, I actually see at the heart. I look at the heart. I'm not, I'm not impressed by something, right, physically impressive, like I created it, so I know. But I'm looking to the heart. And this is actually a constant theme in Scripture, that the wisdom and the, the reason and the, the, the choice of God is backwards to the reason of humanity. All right? We look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 27. Paul writes this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are true, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Right? That we see this theme that God tends to do what people don't expect. Right, so that he gets the glory and he gets the credit, and so that we can't boast in our power and our might and our strength and our knowledge and our even in our spirituality. That he flips things on their head. Jesus was humble, right? Like he was born in, in poverty and he was not from Jerusalem and he was not from Rome, right? Like that he didn't bring our conquering king right in into a throne immediately or into power, but he brought him in humility, that he was then raised as a carpenter in obscurity, right? Like that God is not doing what we would anticipate. We would think he would come in 
the most impressive, most beautiful, most powerful, most mighty, every, like all these things, and it would be clear, that's the Messiah. That's the one we've been waiting for. And yet, listen to Isaiah 53. What it says about him. This is verse 2. As Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Listen, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was not beautiful, right? So it's like he, he wasn't one that you would look at and go, that's, that's got to be him. And yet when people saw Saul, they were impressed. When Samuel sees the firstborn of Jesse, he's impressed. And God's saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not impressed by that. That's not what I'm looking for. Listen, it is human nature to look to beauty, to impressive stature, and to marvel at it. Right to assume that God has blessed in a way and that that must be what God is doing. And yet what God is revealing about Himself here, what He's teaching us is that God cares about the heart. He cares about the heart. And the outward can be deceiving. But the heart reveals what's really going on. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23. He's talking to the religious leaders of the day. And he says this, has some hard words here. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He, right, he's talking to the religious leaders. He's like, listen, you present yourself as one thing, and it's not who you are. Inside you are marked by death. Inside you are marred and ugly. Outside you've got it all put together, and people are impressed. And, and they're wrong to be impressed by it. But I see. I know. The church, right, like the, the call here is, like, look, look, we can physically impress one another sometimes with our knowledge, with our ability, with, with even our morality. And God's saying, but listen, if the heart doesn't match it, then it's all for naught. That if we start on the inside, the outside will match it. But the outside can be impressive and dead. And that God cares about character. He cares about obedience. And God is not mocked. Whatever you are planting, you will harvest. And so you can fool the church for a while. You can fool your family and friends for a while. You can fool yourself for a while. But eventually you will harvest what you've planted. You will reap what you have sown. And it will be revealed who you actually are. Sometimes in the church, um, we elevate people into roles because they are they they seem impressive or they know a lot, and yet their their role has been elevated beyond their obedience, beyond their character. But we think, man, they speak really good. 
or they have a great story, or God has done this, or they, people will come because of them, because look at them, like, look at them. And then we elevate them, and they run ahead, and eventually, right, sin befalls them in tragic ways because they were elevated to a point where their character was not yet, their obedience was not yet. Maybe their knowledge was, but their, their obedience hadn't caught up. And so what God is saying is, listen, I don't want you to pick the one who's most impressive. I want you to pick the one whose heart is like mine. And I'm the one who can see that. God is telling Samuel, you would not be able to judge that. I'm able to judge that. And so he anoints David, the youngest, the smallest, the one that wasn't even brought to the assumption was that he would not be chosen. And we just see this anointing happening here. It, it's, it's a symbolic picture, just like baptism, right? Baptism is not the, the means of which we are saved, but is a picture that God has saved, that He has rescued us and that we have died and been buried with Jesus, and now we are walking in the righteousness of Jesus, right? It's a picture of that. This anointing, as the oil is being poured out, is that the Spirit of God is falling on David, that it is covering him as it goes through his head and, and through his hair, that God is saying, this one is mine, and I'm going to do something here. And we see then in verse 13, that it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Right, that, that was a symbolic picture of what God was doing with his spirit that David is going to be divinely equipped for the task that God has called him to. That he's not asking him to figure it out. That he is going with him and before him and is going to prepare him. That he is making things, he is, he's equipping the one that he's called. He wasn't looking for the most impressive one. So let's pick up in verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So in contrast to, to Samuel receiving the Spirit, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful and plain, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. All right, so last week we had like three kind of like seminary-level difficulties in chapter 15, right? We had holy war. We had Samuel, you know, hacking to death someone. Um... We had God regretting, and this week we, you know, we just we're just going to look at one: this uh, tormenting spirit from God. Right? You read that, and you're thinking, "What? Don't can we skip chapter 16?" Right? Like, um, 
It's, a, it's another difficult text. And, and I, and I want to say this. I, I'm so grateful that you have been willing over the years to just wrestle right, with Scripture. Um, that you don't feel the need for everything to be tied up with a nice bow at the end of every sermon, that, we're, that you're willing to just to wrestle and to ask and to trust the Lord to eliminate. And we've said this before, and I want to say it again. Scripture gives us everything we need. It does not give us everything we want. Okay? And there is going to be some struggle and some difficulty as we, as we wrestle through what is going on here. I want to start with this. In the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit came and went, okay? He, he would fall on people. Typically, it was task-oriented, right? It was for them to, to lead out in a decision or in the building of something or in battle, and the Spirit would come and it would go. We see this in Judges 16.20 when Samson, who has had the Holy Spirit, it's now departed from him and he's defeated, right? You see it even from David in Psalm 51, right, where he is confessing sin, and he says, don't take, like, don't let your spirit depart from me. Like that he knows that that's a possibility. And, and so that the Spirit has fallen on Saul, and now it is leaving, that it's fallen on David. So would we rejoice this morning that a gift of Jesus in the New Testament is that when he departs, he says, listen, it's better for me to leave, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to get the comforter. You're going to get the helper, and you get him forever. Like that the Spirit no longer comes and goes and is no longer task-oriented. But when you trust Jesus, when you are rescued by the hand of God, the Holy Spirit is a gift, a comfort, a presence to you for the rest, right? For the rest of time. And like, so would we rejoice in that this morning that, that we have not just the cross to look at, not, Jesus's, not just Jesus' resurrection, but we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit that we would not take that for granted. Now listen, if we look throughout Scripture though, um, we see that those that, that Scripture writes about, that we see the authors of Scripture, they, they would attribute both the good and the difficulty of life to the hand of God. And that is not something our culture is good at, right? We tend to want to, we, we take the good, and when anything bad comes, we're, we're screaming and hollering real quick, going, okay, what's going on? How have I displeased the Lord? Like, and yet, I, I want to read just a few verses to, to kind of set the scene here. Um, the first is in Job, right? A, a familiar story. Job chapter 2, verse 10. You know that Job loses a lot, but I want you to hear what he says. He's talking to his wife who has told him to curse God and die in verse 9. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now listen, we know Job's story is difficult as, as he loses family and money and, and, and health. And yet he's saying, listen, I'm gonna, if I'm going to take the good, I've got to take the bad. Right? right? And listen, I understand that we get uncomfortable with this. We're like, ah, I don't, I don't love this. Then we, we look in Amos chapter 3 a book that we spent time in a couple years ago. Let's see if I can... had too many verses to uh, mark all of them, apparently. Um, Amos 3.6 Is the trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Right? Again, hard words. Words that make us uncomfortable. If we look back at Isaiah, 
Instead of chapter 52, go back to 45. Picking up in verse 6 and 7. God speaking about Himself. He says, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Listen to verse 7. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. And then one from uh, the New Testament. Lest you think that this is an Old Testament issue alone. In John 9. Just creating some anticipation. Um, John 9, verse 3. Um, beginning in verse 1, sorry. As he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might, just be, might be displayed in him. Right? And so what we see here is, is difficulty, that there was blindness, knowing that there would be a day where Jesus was going to come upon him and bring healing, right? So that... And, and so we see the, the miracles and the works of God, right, are not so that we would be impressed by them, but that we would hear the message of God that Jesus restores and He heals and He brings life to death, right? We see Him talk about that even with Lazarus, His friend's death, right, in John. That it's like, like the glory of God is going to shine forth here. And so listen, there is some difficulty in this idea that from both Good and difficult things can come from the hand of God. We see this in Egypt, right? In, in the book of Exodus, that, it, that God is rescuing His people, and in that there's difficulty for the people of Egypt, right? That the hand of the Lord falls upon them. God has told His own people, listen, if you don't obey me, and if your king doesn't obey me, my hand will be against you too, right? Like that, that, that God is bringing both. And so this language here, the Hebrew is difficult. And it basically it's talking not about a demonic spirit, okay? But it's talking about like an angel of judgment who is pressing on, who is bringing difficulty in Saul's life. Why? So that he would repent. Right? What has Saul been completely in the book of 1 Samuel? Spiritually numb, dumb, and blind. He has not sought God. He has not obeyed God. He has not done any of these things, right? And so now an angel of judgment is pressing on him, is bringing difficulty, is bringing what they would call torment, right? So that, that Saul would go, oh, God, I need you. Like, help me. Help me. I repent of my sin. I have sinned against you. Help me to know you and to trust you. Remove this from me, Right? This, it's, it's, it's causing him to experience fear, um, to, to feel like incapacitated, to lead. He's having mental difficulty here. It's discipline of the Lord so that he would respond and repent. Now listen, I know maybe where your mind is going, it's like, man, no good parent would do that. No good, no good parent would do that. I beg to differ, okay? So some of you have made decisions for your, your kids preteens or teenagers especially. And listen, I'm not trying to politicize this or make a stand one way or the other. 
But some of you have looked at your kids and said, I don't think the best thing for you right now is a cell phone. Okay? And I know most of your friends have one, but I, I don't think it's the best thing for you. And your child would say right now, you are tormenting them. And you might say, okay, you're being a little dramatic, but they would legitimately believe that they are being tormented. That you are being cruel and unusually punishing them. Like, God, why are I, not God, parents, like, why are you doing this to me? And the parent would say, I see that it is causing discomfort and distress and torment and agony, and that I could quickly make it all go away. But I believe there's something better for you than for you to have this right now. And I want you to see it and to taste it and to experience it. And I can't make you do it, so I'm trying to put you in a situation where you'll reach for it. Okay? And the, and the child would say, just give me what I want. Yet God is a good parent who knows what's in our hands and knows what it is that we need, whether we think we want it or not. And so it is in His kindness that He leads us to repentance. It is severe mercy and severe grace to reveal to us that our hearts are latched onto something that isn't good for us. A good parent does not look at someone holding something dangerous and say, hey, it's what you wanted. It's going to destroy you though. But hey, I don't, I don't want to be mean. No, you, you take it, even if it causes struggle and difficulty. That God is looking to press on Saul's life that his eyes and his heart would be open and say, I've held on to things that I did not need. God, I need you. Would you remove this from me? And listen, Saul's going to struggle and battle this, but he's going to do it from, not from a God-honoring way. He's going to do it in his own way. I want you to hear an example of someone who's in a very similar scene and yet sees it that God is at work for his good. This is 2 Corinthians 12. Let's know what Paul says. Beginning in verse 5. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool but I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, so pay attention here. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul has a difficulty that has come from God, right? And he sees, listen, you're allowing Satan to do some things to me that are uncomfortable. I don't like it. I'm asking you to stop but I trust that if it doesn't, your grace is sufficient for me every single day and every single moment. That this world has trouble because of sin, because of rebellion, because of the fall. We have disease and death and calamity. And God is saying, I will use even those things so that you will see my surpassing glory, so that you will see that I am sufficient and that I'm enough. And we can, we can handle it like Saul and raise an angry fist to God and try to figure it out in our own might and think that God is cruel, right? Just trying to hurt us. Or we can look at it like Paul and say, God, I, 
I don't enjoy this, but I trust that you're good. And I trust that you are sufficient and that your mercy and your grace will be enough in every moment. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna lean in and I'm gonna I'm gonna rest in your character. Remember Hannah's prayer in First Samuel two, where she is is saying, "Listen, the Lord raises up; He exalts, and He also humbles and brings low." Listen to verse ten: "The adversaries of the Lord, who Saul has become an adversary of the Lord in his disobedience, shall be broken to pieces against them." He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, but He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. Listen, we don't enjoy these types of things. But God is saying, I care more about what's going to happen in you for eternity. You, I need you to see me for who I am. And so sometimes difficulty comes so that we will look at our situation and go, I was on a path that was going to lead me away from God. I was trusting in something other than Him. I see that my need for Him, and that is a good and loving thing to do. Saul wasn't obedient. He was spiritually dull and blind. He was little in his own eyes. He feared man, and he was a bad shepherd, right? which is symbolic of a bad leader in Scripture. David is a shepherd. We see that. So the question that you should begin to be asking in your heart, if you're not familiar with the story, is, is he going to be revealed as a good shepherd or not? which right, chapter 17 will begin to see that. Is he going to be okay? Will he trust God? Will he turn to God? Will he be spiritually attuned? Or will he also be spiritually blind and deaf? And yet we know that most of the Psalms are written by David, that he was a spiritually attuned man. who would trust and turn to God with both hard things and good things, with both depression and with joy. That he would turn and trust and rest and ask hard questions, but he would entreat the Lord where Saul simply did it in his own power. And so we're going to end with this. The question this morning for each of us is, is who or what is going to rule, rule us, rule you, rule me? Something will be king in your life. It could be you. It could be a, a worldview. It could be a sin, right? Something's going to rule you. And whatever rules you, right, you will eventually kind of become a slave to it. And other than Jesus, everything's a pretty harsh taskmaster. You can't, you can't please it, including yourself. Right? You found this. You can't, you can't please yourself. You can't make yourself happy. Like, you just want more and more and more, and there's no peace and there's no satisfaction, even if it was for a moment. Saul believed that he was right in his own eyes, and so he defied the, the things that God asked of him and did what he thought was better. And he is now facing turmoil and torment over it. But Jesus is the shepherd king who tells us his yoke is easy and his burden is light and that all who come, right, find rest. God has provided, right? He told him, listen, y'all picked a king. It didn't go well for you. I'm going to provide a king in David who is going to be a picture of the king that I'm ultimately going to, pre- I'm ultimately going to provide for you to rescue you for all eternity. And he's going to be a shepherd. Right? Listen to Mark 6. Verse 34. This is speaking of Jesus. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He saw them as they were, right? Sheep lost in danger, doing their own thing and at risk. And he had compassion on them and began to shepherd and to draw them in. In John 10, he, he lays out that he's like, listen, a hireling will take care of the sheep until trouble comes in. He's running, going to save his own hide. He's like, I'll lay down my life for the sheep. That we see that Jesus is shepherd. He is king. He has compassion, and he is looking to draw in his flock to minister and to care for them. And so listen, there is grace from Jesus that goes beyond all your sin. No matter how far you are from him, no matter how much you've done, that you think, yeah, God's going to torment me. He's saying, no, 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 I love you, and I will forgive you, and I will wash it away, and I will give you grace that goes beyond your sin you will get what you do not deserve, which is mercy and grace to be a son or daughter of the King. Right? Like we can lay down our sin and pick up grace in Jesus. Or we can hold tight to it. And we will be tormented. Right? By our own decisions, by our own sin, by the consequences of it. And we will even look at a God who is trying to take it out of our hands to say, I want to give you something better. And we will accuse Him of being cruel, of mean and of tormenting us. When He is looking to offer something better, He's trying to remove what it is that we're clinging to and seeing as God now. Church, both 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 2 say that the church, like individual believers, have been anointed. We are anointed by God Himself for those who love and trust and treasure Jesus so that we can be ambassadors for Him. And so our calling this morning right, is to look and go, hey, souls are being tormented. So listen, there's hope and there's peace and there's joy and there's life in Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd King. And so we want to obey Him and rightly reflect Him and to walk in our anointing as ambassadors of our King because He's good. And He is worthy of worship. And He offers an easy yoke and rest and life and no torment for eternity. So would we turn to that Jesus this morning? We get to sing to Him because He is alive and well. And so would we make much of Him this morning? So I'm going to pray for us. The band is going to come. There will be folks in the back if you need someone to talk to or to pray with that will be back there, but let's sing and respond to our King who is alive and well and good. Would we trust His character and wrestle with difficulty when we see it, trusting that His Spirit will minister and illuminate and give peace? Father, we confess we need You. And Lord, we, we, we struggle... Um, God, we love taking the good from You and we struggle with the fact that You might remove something from us that hurts. And yet we know that that's what good parents, good grandparents, good teachers, good coaches, good authority do is they, they take away the lesser to give the better. And Lord, there is nothing better than You. There is nothing more than You. There is nothing that will give us more satisfaction, more joy, more comfort, more peace. You are the gift of eternity. It's you. It's knowing you. So, Father, if we are holding on to sin, if we are holding on to brokenness, if we are holding on to difficulty this morning and unwilling to lay it down, God, would you 
kindly and graciously whisper in our hearts and our ears that you are enough and that you'll take it and in exchange you'll give us yourself with mercy and grace and righteousness and salvation. Father, would we trust you? God, would we be willing to wrestle with this and, and, and ask you to work in a way that would reveal that you are who you say you are? And we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks today, and we thank you that your spirit is present among us. In Jesus' name, amen.